Welcome to Hope Talks Podcast with Grayson Willis and Pastor Margaret Michael, where you'll hear inspiring stories that are filled with hope and good news in Jesus Christ. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We would love your feedback and invite you to take a short, anonymous survey. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes. Welcome to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. And I'm Pastor Margaret Michael. Um, thank you um, for being with us today um, and listening today. Um, today we are joined by um, Pastor Camelot Schuff. Um, how are you doing today, Camelot? Wonderful. It's good to have you with us. Just, good to be here. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. It's a great place for people that like to talk. Yep. Oh, count me in. <laughs> And uh, even though Pastor Camelot is uh, not joining us in person, we're lucky to be able to have her over the phone. Yeah, Pastor Camelot's joining us from um, somewhere around Newport News, um, where she pastors um, the Nazarene Church, Newport News Church of the Nazarene. Right, in Hampton Roads on the coast. Yes. So, yes, indeed. Yeah, so Pastor Camelot, we would love to just hear some about your story today. And, you know, there's no greater place to start than at the start, right? So if you want to tell us a little bit about where you were born, where you grew up, that'd be great. Yes, very good. Well, in the beginning, that's the start, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, the Lord, I was thinking about the verses this morning, and, and the first verse, it's kind of a life verse or two from Jeremiah. And the first one is from chapter one, where it says, you know, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Mm. And uh, it just it helps me to recognize just the sovereignty of God along the way mm-hmm. and how he uh, just puts our steps together and leads us and seeks after us. I was born in uh, the early 70s in the 19th century, the 1900s. <laughs> and I was born in Greenville, South Carolina uh, to my mother and father, James and Janice. Mm. And so um, they, I spent most of my life with my mother because when I was two, they divorced. And so I felt, I described it one time, I felt like a tug of war. You know, mm. I was the lot in the middle, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people experience that, children of divorced homes, and you kind of get torn because you love both of them. Um, but you're in the middle there. And so uh, my mother remarried. And so I also have not just that experience, but I have kind of a rags to riches experience where um, we were very poor. My mom was single mom. And, you know, I remember trying to make ends meet. I stayed with my cousin. And then all of a sudden, one week, I'm barely have enough clothes to wear. And the next week, I'm in Disney World with my stepfather. Mm. And he has me on his shoulders carrying me and the big Mickey Mouse he just bought me or one for me or something. And I just have those kind of very stark memories in just a short period of time. So basically at the age of six, um, I became the daughter of a billionaire. And so that was a very different lifestyle, very different way of living, um, very different um, expectations on me. I was removed from elementary school and uh, I couldn't read and write after first grade because I was in public school. And honestly, I didn't really care for school. (laughs) And so I was put in a private college prep immediately. And my entire second grade year, I went to school at five in the morning. My stepdad took me and I learned how to read and write and do math. And and so by the end of my second grade year, I was caught up to go into third grade. So very uh, swift uh, redirection that the Lord really had his hand in. And I, I see that and uh, how he has prepped me. It was a college prep school. And my, my mom and my stepfather, he was Jewish and I wasn't raised in church on this end, but this was a Christian school. Mm-hmm. I went to chapel and received communion every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I can quote passages of scriptures. I don't even know where I got them from. It was just from the repetition of this school. And I knew the Bible. I knew how to look stuff up. Didn't read it on my own, but I had class in it mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. 
so just the prevenient grace of God abounds um, in my life. And I only see glimpses of it. I only can remember parts of it, but I'm amazed as I think about how God was engrafting and just taking care of me along the way. Mm. Uh, My dad was saved when I was two in the divorce, and um, he prayed for me from the time I was two until I was 20 when I came to know the Lord. And, you know, I was very rude to him, very rebellious as a teenager, um, thought I knew everything. And, of course, I had way more than him, at least (laughs) in theory. And so there was the sense of I had it made, and yet I knew on the inside I was empty. And so uh, I'm glad for the prayers that made me aware of that so that I could um, come to a God who could fill me. So, yeah, that's kind of the synopsis of it. There's probably a lot more details I can go into, but uh, that's me in a nutshell growing up. (laughs) You uh, mentioned about switching from public school to this uh, college prep kind of Christian school, um, and you talked about going to chapel a couple times a week and the scripture and all that. What are some earliest memories, maybe an earliest verse or uh, early memory about those times and those chapel services that sticks out to you maybe as foundational in your faith as you look back? Now. Well, it's funny. It's not a verse exactly, but uh, I remember the chaplain or whoever it was that would stand up, and it was Episcopalian, and so he would get up and do the speech every year that says, this is how we look at communion. All may, some should, but none must. Mm. And so that's kind of the way that we were invited to participate in communion, and it was an invitation to the entire school. Now, we always did because, you know, you got to get up from your seat, and it was real wine, so, you know, we thought that was, you know, very scandalous at third grade, you know, and so we would go up and do that, but it was just that, and then they had a little booklet. It was like a little blue book. I actually got that from the school, and I have a copy of it somewhere. It's just a little blue book, and every every time we got together for chapel, we would quote that book. He would say his part. We would say our part, and if you just gave me a couple lines of that blue book, I could just, you know, I could say it out right now, you know, mm-hmm. and so I don't remember all the scriptures that they were woven into it, but I do think, boy, you know, in our faith formation, and I'm in discipleship now, in our faith formation, how much this responsive reading and scripture uh, memorization is a tool shed for me that was given to me really without me knowing it. Mm-hmm. And I have this arsenal in my heart because God's grace made it so. And so, yeah, I, I love that. Um, and uh, yeah. So, Camilla, <laughs> yeah, it is good stuff. So, you kind of synopsized your teenage years as you might have been a little rebellious. And so is there anything in that transition from your childhood? Um, what happened? Like, what did your life, you had some foundation that was built, yeah. laid um, for you through um, the school that you were in. And I'm, I I know that you didn't, but for those <laughs> listening, um, you didn't exactly adhere to that foundation. It just, it was some facts and some stories um, that you read. It hadn't really become reality to you yet. So what what did those years uh, synopsize? What did they look like? Well, I was, uh, you know, everybody told me I was living the American dream. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do it well. And so I, I'm a leader pretty much. I was born a leader. I think the Lord gave me that gift, but I lead in a lot of ways. And in that moment, at that time, I was the kind of person that if other parents found out that I was going to be in a certain 
location in the weekend events of uh, the teenage life, and they were more concerned about where their kids were going, you know. I was the one that led the pack in those places, and, and uh, I was very rebellious. I was involved. I started drinking when I was probably 15. I started doing drugs when I was probably about the same age. I don't recall when, um, but just very much involved in uh, any kind of rebellion and what we called fun and and uh, flirting with disaster. There was a song that we used to sing, and we would use that as a invitation even uh, to flirt with disaster. And uh, boy, uh, looking back on it now, I just I, I cringe because really that's what I was doing. There's so many places that I can point to that, that God just hate my life. <laughs> I could be dead, <laughs> and I. I look at those things and I remember that even in that, in my uh, hateful rebellion, he would spare me and Mm. and intercede. And there were times that my my dad and others in my family would say that they would wake up in the middle of the night interceding for me. And I just don't even know. I know when we get to heaven, I'm probably going to be able to match up that timeline because there's times I remember something getting in the way of something really stupid I was doing. Mm. And I just, I look back and I think, wow, the hand of God was even making himself known then Mm, and saving my life so that I could get to a place where I saw my need for him. And so I'm amazed again, just by his hand at work. Um, He knows. he, (laughs) He is right there in the midst of it. I know a lot of people, you know, they talk about how they go back and kind of have to have help correcting some memories in their life because they have some animosity towards God or towards the people of God in their life. And um, one of the exercises that I've heard a lot of people use, and it's very helpful for me, and that is when I was in my rebellion or when I was being hurt or whatever it is that you see, what is God in that room? And the answer, of course, is yes, because he's always everywhere. But now look at his countenance on his face when that was happening. What was his countenance, you know? And uh, when we recognized it, probably he was weeping. Um, probably he was he was broken over what was happening and the sin that was spitting in his face at the time. And um, well, I guess what is it? The sin that I had to bring and to be forgiven for was great. So I have a great debt. Right? Mm. I'm a debtor. Well, and just the importance of your dad and his stance was prayer. You know, and that's something that we need to hear and we need to be able to, um, those listening um, today may have someone that is astray and to know that um, God hears our prayers and they're not always answered in our timing. Um, That's right. But um, he does hear and he saves. And Pastor Camelot, as you were talking about the prayers of your dad, that you can look back on those and know that God was working even Maybe when it didn't seem like he was working in your life, he was using those prayers to bring you back to him. But also, I know at some point you reconnected with your dad. So if you want to share about that. Yeah, so I went off to college and um, still in my rebellion. And my mother, she was going through a difficult time of her life and my stepfather as well. And so um, in that faith, um, with everything that I was doing, uh, they, uh, I went through a time where I was really choosing some things that they weren't choosing for me. And so we went through a, a disconnect, a disowning. And I was, you know, I didn't have the money to put myself through college. I, I was making statements like I owned everything and really I owned nothing. So I was disowned and I ended up having to move out of the college dormitory in the middle of my sophomore year um, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's kind of my last semester there at Lynchburg College in Lynchburg, Virginia. And um, my now it's Lynchburg University. That's how old I am. Uh, but I moved in with my boyfriend 
and his family, basically, for that Christmas. And we, we were still dating, and uh, we've been dating for probably about three months. It wasn't long, but moved in with Tim and uh, was estranged from my from my mom. And in that time, in that period, I thought, well, I'll, I don't really have anything, so let me call my dad because, you know, they're not connected, so let me call them. And so I called my dad, and he said, look, you know, I know where where you are, and I love you, and um, I'll send you grocery cards at grocery stores that don't sell alcohol, basically, <laughs> is what he was telling me, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, I'm here for the basics of life. But other than that, uh, I'm not going to really give you anything that you're asking for if you're asking for a bunch of stuff. I said, okay. And then it was good to reconnect. And they actually invited uh, me and my boyfriend uh, to a vacation. And I was like, man, vacation, that's awesome. And so we were invited to go down that next summer to the lake in South Carolina. And I was like, wow, you know, the fact that he would be, meet my boyfriend or whatever and accept us, that was, you know, whatever. He wasn't really... <laughs> You know, he didn't know us, really. And so they made it very clear, if you're going to come, you're, this is your bedroom, and this is your bedroom, and, you know, never the twain shall meet kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, they did invite us down, and we went down for the week at Lake Hartwell. It was in that space that I recall, even though I had been in a Christian school, I'd had people witness me, and I went on, a, like, what, what they call, like, a teen retreat at one point called Happening. They went there, and, and they talked about God, but this is the first time that I recall hearing the message of the gospel, the actual good news of Jesus Christ. I was standing out in the parking lot of the Lake Hartwell rented house that they had rented. And um, me and my boyfriend were out there and we were smoking cigarettes and, you know, had to go outside. And my dad, instead of staying inside and, you know, turning his nose up and being judgmental, he came out there, even though I didn't realize this at the time, but he was also an ex-smoker. And whenever he smelled cigarettes, it made him sick to his stomach, you know, because that's just how you become as an ex-smoker. So he's out there in the parking lot talking to us. And so finally, he was like, well, tomorrow's Sunday, so I'm going to be gone for the morning because I'll go to church. And I was like, why do you go to church? He answered and, you know, said something. I can't remember exactly what. But then, you know, he's like, well, we go to worship Jesus. And I said, so why do you worship Jesus? (laughs) Like, what's the reason? Like, I know we celebrate Jesus at Christmas. He was born. But what's the big deal about him, you know? And he's like, well, we celebrate not only him being born, because he's God's son. He's God in flesh. And, and I said, yeah. And he's like, but we also celebrate on Easter, right? And I was like, yeah. But I mean, like he dies. He was like, yeah, but he rose again. And I said, yeah, okay. He rose again. But to me, it's still fabulous, you know? And I remember my dad saying, do you know why he died? And I said, no, I don't know why they put him to death. <laughs> and that's when he shared it. He said, no, he died for your sins and mm. my sins. He died because we were supposed to die. But if we died, we would constantly be separated from God. But he died and then he rose again so that we wouldn't have to. And it's just so, like, I remember being stunned with that truth that day. And, you know, there's a few other things that kind of got us to the place of going to church. I can't even really recall. I think there was another time when um, I was, and I can't, you know, right now I'm having a hard time getting even it straight because of the provenient grace of God just works, you know. Mm. And there was a time when we were having a party. This was um, back at our place. We had a single wide and a trailer park at this point, right? Um, With our uh, vast empire. And so we basically were having a party at the house there and somebody brought a Bible in because he was the son of a Seventh-day Adventist preacher. He didn't go to church either. And he was sharing about how the whole world's going to church on the wrong day. And we really need to get that right. And we talked about that that night as we partied. And uh, none of us went to church, but he ended up leaving his Bible there that night. And 
when he left his Bible there, um, the next morning I picked it up and I thought, well, I never really read the Bible through. I just read the first part and I know how to find Deuteronomy, you know, like I know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I started, I just picked it up like you would a crime novel. I used to read crime novels and I'd read the last chapter first. So I picked it up and read Revelation that morning. And by lunchtime, I was scared to death. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> oh, good night. <laughs> So I called my boyfriend and I said, you got to come home. And he said, why? I said, because Jesus is coming back. And he's like, oh, I'll be right there. Now, he thought I was on something. He thought I was messed up and I needed attention. <laughs> and so he came home and he finally figured out I was serious. And he said, well, why don't we just go to church? I said, all right, let's go to church. <laughs> so a few Sundays later, we ended up stumbling into a church one Sunday morning. So we figured in Lynchburg, Virginia, you think they have any churches in Lynchburg, Virginia? Mm, hardly. <laughs> We we didn't know there was one on every corner because we weren't looking for those. We knew where all the bars were, but not the churches. And so we went, we went to the only church we knew, and that was Thomas Road Baptist Church down there by Lynchburg College at the time. And we stumbled in about 11 o'clock because, you know, you know, what time it started, how, everybody knows that, right? So we stumbled in at 11 o'clock, and they ushered us right to the front row, well, second row. And there stood Jerry Falwell up front. And best I could recall, and what I'd said for 20 years as I shared my testimony, was that he got up there and he preached on doing drugs, being rebellious, smoking, living together, uh, all these uh, sins that I was doing. And then he said, if you don't get saved, you're going to go to hell. I mean, that's basically what I heard the man say. And I, you know, I knew that the message was exactly for us that day. And at the end of the message, we stood up to the song, Just As I Am. And my boyfriend leaned over to me. He said, so I was just stunned, really. I was just stunned. And um, he leaned over to me and he said, so do you want to go up front? I said, well, I guess we could. So he said, okay. So we grabbed each other's hand and walked up front. And they took us in the back and the man led us in a prayer of salvation. And that day, I was delivered from drugs and alcohol. And it wasn't about two weeks later, after many other miracles, I was delivered from cigarettes. And I mean, I don't remember. I'd tried to quit cigarettes for a couple of years, you know, but never could. But that day, I, you know, it was just a miracle. I mean, really. And there's lots of other miracles that happened from, uh, well, on the way home from church that day, my boyfriend proposed to me. And I thought, well, I don't really have anywhere to go. <laughs> no, nah, I loved him. And so his name's Sam. We were married that next Saturday. And we've been married for about 20, we've been together about 30 years now. So, yeah, that was a life-changing day for us. Here's the funny thing. If you want to know what holds a marriage together, Sam and I had nothing in common except the drugs and the alcohol. And on the day we were saved, we didn't have the drugs and alcohol in common really anymore. We had Jesus in common. (laughs) Amen. So if you want something to hold a marriage together, um, if you only have one thing, it'd be Jesus. That's right. (laughs) Right? That's right. So anyway. Yeah, so lots of miracles, and I'll follow up on it because I want to keep a certain thread going that I think the Lord just kind of has for me today. Maybe the other people glean from it. You know, God is sovereign, and later on in Jeremiah 29, 11, you all probably know this verse, right? Mm -hmm. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And, um, you know, God has a plan for all of us, and I think it's hysterical um, as I have gotten glimpses of God's plan in my life and not knowing the end from the beginning the way he does, but he's given me glimpses. And um, one of those glimpses was a 20-year wedding anniversary, and I don't want to jump ahead so we go back, but I decided, well, I'm going to find out if that message on that day was recorded. And so I called Jerry Falwell's church and 
By this time, he'd gone on to be with the Lord, and, and I called, and I got the message from that day. I just wanted to hear that message again. You know, it was just for me, right? And uh, so I got it. They sent it in a VHS tape, and so <laughs> they sent it over to me, and I watched the message. Sam and I sat down, and we watched the message that day. And you know that one of the things that I realized is that I didn't hear him say a thing as to what I thought he said. The Holy Spirit must have been talking to me because it wasn't Jerry Falwell. The message that we responded to was not a come down here or you're going to go straight to hell. That wasn't what we responded to. We went forward in a message that was basically inviting young couples to go into full-time ministry together. And that's when we went forward. Now, I don't know how many people in that crowd looked at me and how I was dressed and him and how he's dressed <laughs> and the way we acted and probably made us some assumptions about us and, and looked at us like, are you serious right now? <laughs> but boy, they'd be really laughing the same way I'm laughing, mm. uh, knowing kind of where God has brought us. Yeah. So I'll kind of end cap that and let y'all direct yeah. me from here. But yeah, yeah, God has a sense of humor, but he also knows the plans he has for us. Mm-hmm. And so amazing. I've heard you tell that story before, and uh, it's great every time I hear it. But he <laughs> held you all to that. and uh, Yeah, he did. <laughs> so if you'd like to share about when you... I guess, accepted the call when you knew you were accepting the call to full-time ministry? Let's see. Probably about five years into just going to church and, you know, starting a family and, you know, getting through uh, the first five years of marriage, which is always difficult, you know, I think. And so, uh, but I went to, I was going to a little church in South Carolina and I got up to do a women's ministry devotional. And when I did, I realized that the Lord was really in that devotional and his presence was just so real to me at that moment. And I felt like at that time, his affirmation came of calling me into full-time ministry. I didn't really know what that was at the time, but that's really what it was. It was kind of this call. But I wasn't in a place where there was leadership around me that saw that in me. You know, I had a lot of changes to do. God had a lot of work. and uh, But at the same time, I don't know that it was a context in which women were really welcomed into full-time ministry. I mean, I'm not sure they were against it. I just don't think they were for it, you know? And so they saw that very differently. And so I just kind of put it to the back shelf because when I said, well, I think I might be called to full-time ministry. And they said, well, you don't want to be a secretary, do you? And I was like, well, no, I definitely don't want to do that. And so I'm not against secretaries. I need one, but I'm not good at it, you know? (laughs) And so... So I, I decided, well, I'll put that off the back burner. I mean, I, you know, it's not really for me. And so I must have heard God wrong. And um, so I just put it on the back burner. And it wasn't uh, about 10 years later, maybe, and maybe less than that, that I was in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I was, you know, my daughter, she was in children's ministry. And I was always told, of course, when I came to church, if your daughter's in the nursery, you serve in the nursery. If your daughter's in the um, preschool, you start, you take your turn. You, you do your job, right? <laughs> You're a parent. And so this is what we do as a church. And, and so that's what I did. That's where I learned most of my Bible stories and most of my how to parent, you know, situation is I learned it in children's ministry. And I was serving as love patrol, which is basically a good term for take the kids to the bathroom that need to go for Pastor Vic Bright. And he said to me, I said, well, I've been studying, the, you know, this thing in Genesis. And he was like, well, why don't you come teach on it? So I did. I put something together and I, I did like a five minute uh, teaching, you know, called creation moment. Right. And uh, he put that in the. Sunday morning service for the kids. And the Lord just showed up in that. And he came, he kind of chased me out the building one day and he said, are you sure you're not called to be a pastor? And I thought, well, you know, now that you say something, there is this story. So I told it to him and he said, well, let's just pray on that a little bit. 
Well, it wasn't long. You know, I was in classes to pray on it some more, and then I was in more classes to pray on it some more, and then I was on staff at the church and praying on it some more. Mm -hmm. And there's just all these things that just kind of rolled, and the Lord just kind of ushered me in and changed the trajectory. I was going to be a teacher. I was actually in school to be a teacher at the time. But the Lord, again, (laughs) He has a plan, and if we'll listen and if we'll obey, He'll get us there even if we don't even know where we're going. So, yeah. So now I'm a pastor, and I said I'd never be a lead pastor because that would be ridiculous. I'll just be a children's pastor. So I lead the church in Newport News now, and uh, that's just a a beautiful thing when you look back and you see the sovereignty and the hand of God at work. Mm -hmm. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and you know, Camelot, I've been um, blessed to be able to have a side seat, front row seat some days, (laughs) Um, just to watch the Lord um, transform your life and call you to ministry. And it is amazing as you look um, at a life and see how— God put things in place mm. in your childhood to give you that foundation um, mm. of faith. And you went to college. Um, yeah, it didn't go that well, but there was someone there that God had for you to meet. And yeah. from there, um, he made sure that you all ended up in a church <laughs> over, you know, a, someone bringing the Bible um, and you picking that up and reading it. And as you pull that thread of um, just how the Lord works in our lives and it's just beautiful to see that and to see your heart uh, for children because you was a child that could have used a pastor right and then we think that's all but God has things planned for us that we've never thought of or imagined right from Ephesians 3 and um, we have to be faithful and not that teaching children is small it's not something that I'm not um, equipped um, to do I can't keep my own focus much less theirs so um, you know but you were faithful in those things, and sometimes when he calls us, um, we can have confusion when the call is deeper. And you and I just talked about that recently about, you know, um, all of a sudden you're feeling a call to go beyond the walls of this campus and this church and um, be called somewhere else. And God has just continued to build the tapestry of people in your lives and with the church and with the Nazarene church and just your engagement mm. and involvement there. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean that everything's perfect and easy, right? Um, oh, no. No. <laughs> but he is good. No, but God's there. His faithfulness endures, and he's so good to us, you know. And, mm. you know, every morning it seems like he's not only it's the sovereignty overall, but, but just in all the details as well. Mm. Like I look back at, you know, I had to catch up after first grade. I had to catch up because I was out of the loop with regard to what was happening in school and all these things. And then I got out of college um, early because of funding and all that. And then I had to go back. And so I didn't graduate from college until I was 33. And so I look at that, and I was late in that part of the education. But the interesting thing was I, the trajectory of what I learned as a teacher has to do with scope and sequence, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the formation of our knowledge and what our journey looks like in prepping and equipping ourselves for the future and then I look at how God has not just brought me, you know, to the Newport News Church, but also I serve as the Nazarene Discipleship International President in Virginia uh, for the Nazarene Church, right? Mm-hmm. But then also the Regional Coordinator uh, for the Eastern Nazarene Region, the field for, you know, the college. And so there's uh, several NDI presidents that I talk to on a you know fairly regular basis. And just that, as we've worked together under Scott Rainey to mm-hmm. talk about this journey of grace and the provenient grace of God and how he works and the saving grace and the sanctified grace, that whole 
scope and sequence that we might not realize, just like a kid in school doesn't realize that they're in the scope and a sequence. They don't even know what that is, right? Right. But God is the Lord of the scope, Mm -hmm. meaning the broad vision that he has planned for us. And he is intricately involved in the sequence Mm -hmm. of every single life that is before him. Mm -hmm. He's intricately involved in teaching and affirming and healing and comforting and discipling and calling and sending out. And it's just amazing to me that he would, from a throne in heaven where the earth is his footstool, that he would be so intricately involved and lavish his love. I mean, this that's the message from General Assembly yes. that just so spoke yeah. to me, <laughs> yeah. that he would lavish his love on us mm-hmm. and just meet us at the most delicate and impactful times, but also when we don't even recognize him, he's still working as diligently as in those moments. Yeah. And so it's just amazing yeah. to me. Our God is so, so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Pastor Camelot, it's been great to have you today. Thank you for joining us. Amen. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Always good to talk about the testimony and and just how God has brought us through. We have to keep edifying and and encouraging others. Uh, There's other parts that um, have been along the way that have been great sorrows, but it's also out of that that I find some of the greatest uh, times of being able to encourage others along this journey. But there's also lots of mountains that um, the Lord has brought before me in the journey of grace. It just makes me grateful, really, for His faithfulness. Uh, As we come to a close, would you have a scripture on your heart that you would just like to share um, with those listening today? Well, the one today is Lamentations 3, um, verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. (laughs) Never ends. His mercies never come to an end. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And so thank you, Lord, for the mercy that you have bestowed upon us, even while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And so we we stand in awe of a God who cares so deeply that He would send His Son for us. Well, thank you, Pastor Camelot. It's been great to have you today. And uh, thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Hope Talks. We pray that Pastor Camelot Schuff's testimony truly has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Hope Talks. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for updates in the latest episodes. Also, you're in the Harrisonburg, Rockingham County area. We invite you to listen on the radio each Sunday at noon on 1470 AM or 102.1 FM WBTX. 